This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstyles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by First Row Collectibles. If you're into nerd culture, if you're into sports memorabilia, if you're into wrestling memorabilia, please visit firstrow.ca. Use promo code THEPODCAST20. They got everything from comic books to signed wrestling figures and pictures, signed sports memorabilia, you name it, they got it. The best thing is they update daily and they ship worldwide, so please visit them at firstrow.ca. And if you're into video games and books, please visit bossfightbooks.com for great books on classic video games. You'll find titles like Shovel Knight, NBA Jam, Resident Evil, and so many others. Everything you see on their websites available in paperback and ebook format, so please check them out at bossfightbooks.com. And if you're looking for the best supplements and CBD products on the market, please visit LegacySubs.com. Use promo code THEPODCAST to receive 10% off. They got everything from sleep aid to muscle building, anything you need or want. This is not only geared towards your athlete. Your everyday person could benefit from anything on their website. They are Legacy Sports Nutrition. Visit them at LegacySubs.com. If you want to support me directly and monetarily, please visit my merchandise store at tpublic.com or scroll down on today's device you're listening to us on. It's embedded right there in the description. Click on that link. It takes you right to the merchandise store. I got everything from hoodies to t-shirts, travel mugs, phone cases, anything you need or want. It is literally there. But the most important thing, the freest thing, the thing everyone should be doing each and every week, if not done already so, please rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms, most specifically Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So this week's guest is a Canadian mixed martial artist who competes in the UFC's featherweight division with a record of 12-5, and TJ The Truth Laramie. How are you? I'm good, my friend. How are you today, TJ? How's everything out there? Are you in Windsor today? Uh, yes, sir. Just finishing up on a job. A job? So I assume then you have a side job other than just fighting in the UFC. Uh, yeah, so I own a small concrete company and we do uh, concrete. We just had to come clean up and cut a job. So, yeah. Okay, so now okay, everyone knows the biggest thing about UFC fighters is obviously weight cutting and pay structure. So yeah. for people who don't know, 
as much as UFC fighters are as high caliber athletes as people you see in the NFL and the NBA, they don't get paid nearly as much as those athletes do, which is a shame, but it's understandable because it's still considered in its infancy, if so, so to speak, right? So why do you have this side job and does it cut in to your training and competing or do you think it's a distraction or do you need this in, in, in order to be a better fighter? Uh, I wouldn't say it's a distraction really. Like I kind of just focus on this when I don't even really focus on this. I just do this like to make money so I can train. Gotcha. Like without this fighting would actually probably be harder. You know what I mean? Because sure. I spend a lot of money on my training camps and whatnot. And this pays pretty well. Uh, overall if i didn't do this i wouldn't even be able to have the caliber of fights that i like I, I wouldn't be able to fight at a high level realistically because like this this job really just pays for everything and uh i still make sure if i i, I wake it up earlier i'm going to the gym afterwards so it doesn't really cut in too much honestly well and speaking of when what you do with concrete and construction and renovations and all that that's a workout in its own right yeah, absolutely. There are some days where I'm prepping a job, especially prep, uh, where uh, I burn more calories throughout the day because I always have this uh, whoop band on. It's called a whoop. Okay. Uh, and uh, it just records everything throughout the day, kind of like a Fitbit, I guess. Sure. Yeah. And there are some days where through a job prep, I'm burning more calories than I am through a day of training actually that's crazy right so you wouldn't want a say an office job then you're content with being the so-called blue collar worker yeah absolutely like i could not sit inside all day like uh pretty much the only time i sit and do and don't really be active is during the middle of training camp and i'm a little bit tired and dieting sure and i play video games that's it i play some xbox and then uh other than that i don't really do too much and now, for people who don't know, too, I'm glad you brought it up, the whole training part of it, how it, it also costs. That eats into the purse as well. So you got the training, you got the travel probably some of the times to even bring in other fighters if you want to train with them and whatnot, like, you know what I mean, all this sort of stuff. Then obviously, if you have a manager and that sort of team all behind you, next thing you know, you barely have what? what, what what's the calculation? 40, 50% of your actual purse in your pocket? Yeah, like, and, like, it's nothing. Really, like, I don't, I fight for pretty much to break even at this point. Wow. And it's like, that's fine. Like, I know what I'm signing up for. I do this because I love it. I was doing it before I was getting paid. Sure. Uh, but uh, the thing is, if I was doing this for, if I was trying to make money, I would just do concrete. I could get rich off this. You know what I mean? Right, if right. I kept doing this, I, I'd get rich. You know what I mean? But I'm not really worried about the money. Making money is easy, and that's something I discovered when I opened up a concrete company. <laughs> I was like, man, that like... It's hard work, but if you really if you really want to put your mind to something and make some money and you know what I mean, work hard. Sure. I've I've been working hard my whole life for a lot less money, you know what I mean? And probably <laughs> a lot more hard work, you know. I'd say fighting is in this. And uh yeah. Uh so it, it and another thing too is like yeah. I'm glad I started this up. Okay. Uh because it's kinda given me uh some security in the in in the sense where it's like Okay, well, I can give 100% in the fighting. I don't have to worry about what's after this because if I need to make money, I can make money. You know what I mean? The option's always there. And that's not to say it's a, a security net or it's going to make me train any less hard. Uh, it's just it, it's good that it's there so I know, you know, if, if it ever comes down to it and, you know, end of the row and I got to hang the gloves up and I didn't really make the money I thought I would, right. then you have this, right? And 
It doesn't matter, man. Like, I'm always looking, I'm the type of person who's always looking to achieve more, do more. Mm. So it's like, I could be a multi-millionaire, world champion, I'm still going to want to find other ways to better my life or challenge myself. So that would most likely be with uh, starting my own company, business venture, whatever it is, you know. And you know what? I love that you brought that up too, that you could do pretty much both and still be successful. And it's not really a fallback because... It's not that I hate the people. It's just that everyone has a different path. So those people who could go 100% and do that craft solely, congrats, hats off to you. I'm like you, myself. I'm a podcaster. I've been doing this for a long time. I got sponsors, this, this, and that. I still have a full-time job as well. Like, you know what I mean? And it's not to say that it's a fallback, but it's like I could still do both and still be successful at both. So why not do it? Now, if it interferes in either or, then I'm going to have to sit down and be like, okay, what's more important? What will make me more money in the end? Because obviously, I don't care what anyone says. You have to survive. And especially, you know, here being in Southern Ontario, everything is skyrocketing through the fucking roof. Like the cost of living is going up higher than people are getting raises and the like, yeah. You, you know what I mean? So it's like eventually we're going to fall behind, but it's it's crazy. Like people don't put into effect that you could do both. Like uh, how about all those people yeah. who are good at like, say, for example, that are athletes, that are comedians, that are actors, like can do all three amazingly. Imagine if you told them, oh, no, like someone like The Rock. All you can do is professional wrestling. You can't do nothing else. You know what I yeah. mean? So how did this all start then for you? You said being a world champion, obviously that's the goal for every fighter who gets into it. How did your journey begin into mixed martial arts? So basically, uh, my dad kind of got me into it. I uh, started more oh. as like a fan watching it. Okay. Uh, and then eventually I tried out a kickboxing class. And from there, it was history. Within a year, I had my mm. first amateur fight oh, and wow. grappling tournament. Sure. And then it was just, uh, you know, feeling that winning and feeling that uh, individuality of the sport mm. where it's like you work hard and it pays off no matter what. You know, you think oh. the work's not paying off now? It'll pay off down the road. Just like trust me, no matter what. Like, like it's hard to explain to some people, <laughs> but uh, like even if it doesn't work today, it doesn't work tomorrow. It might work a month or two months or three months from now. But at some point, I promise the hard work pays off, man. Yeah, no kidding. And you said you started off with kickboxing. So is that your favorite discipline, so to speak? And do you have a discipline that you're like, oh man, I like for example, if it's jujitsu, I don't want to do, I don't want to roll today or something like. Do you have like a favorite and a least favorite? So jiu-jitsu is probably actually my most favorite, Ooh. actually. I would say okay. grappling. Uh, I started with at a kickboxing school, but I really like grappling more than anything. Nice. Uh, I have a, actually a grappling super fight in Pennsylvania at the end of May, May 29. There you go. Um, so staying active there, I train with one of the best jiu-jitsu teams in, in America, uh, really in Ohio. Uh, it works out that I'm in Windsor because I can just cross the border right. and go trip. So, yeah, there's that. And, uh, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'd say jiu-jitsu 100%. Uh, it's just, it's something I could see me uh, competing in until I'm old, you know what I mean? Uh, like, it's something sure. I, I can really see, I'm, I can, I'm not going to be an old man kickboxer. I'm not going <laughs> to be 40 or 50 years old trying to kickbox. I'll train for sure, no, no doubt about it, but. When it comes to uh, when it comes to actual competition, I'm always going to have that little bit of fire in me somewhere in there, you know. And uh, awesome. the only the only way I could really see myself continuing that down the line is with jujitsu. Oh, that's cool. That's so cool too. And speaking of, like you said, you have your grappling match on May 29th on Flow Grappling. So how like, how important is it to stay active in between your UFC fights? And in a perfect world, how many fights in the UFC do you actually want to have per year? Um. 
Realistically, three fights a year, I think, is perfect for me in the okay. UFC. Um, I think that's perfect, especially uh, because I'm considering dropping a weight class, so that weight cut's going to make it a little bit more challenging to fight more than three times a year. Gotcha. Uh, but the in-betweens there, I didn't compete for a year and a half, right? So okay. uh, a little bit over a year and a half. So that was the longest time in my career I didn't do anything, and it's just... Uh, I, fe- I, I felt it a little bit. My fight, I'd say a little bit of ring rust, a little bit of competition rust. Uh, but it is what it is, you know. Uh, that's why I took the jiu-jitsu fight right away, jiu-jitsu match immediately, and I want to keep it up. I want to keep the ball rolling, something to work towards. And, uh, yeah, I think it's just going to up my game in every aspect. Uh, I think doing the jiu-jitsu fights are going to up my MMA game, just going to keep me in the gym better. Because a big thing that... I would be out of the gym for a little bit long after my fights. Mm. I, I wouldn't really be dieting in between fights. I'd be going eating crazy. And, uh, <laughs> like, I'm just – everything in general, I just uh, – I'm tightening it down. So uh, that's why I think keeping the competition going is really motivating in that aspect. So how does exactly it work with your UFC contract? I know you guys are allowed to grapple. So anything minus striking, I assume, then, you're allowed to do on the side? So nothing, like, I, I guess – like a professional level you know oh, what i mean like I'm okay considered a professional sport sure it's like an exhibit i guess they're all basically exhibitions you know i'm not signing any contract for this match i'm just showing up gotcha gotcha okay yeah that makes sense yeah because yeah why not let you guys at least stay active it's true it's true so yeah. your first fight was in pancreas back in 2015 now what you want, obviously, first round TKO punches. I didn't even know they were still around because I'm old school. I'm back in the pride and the early UFC days. And when Pancreas first started yeah. showing up, it was more like slap-based, submission. And now they morphed yeah. and now they uh, accepted the, the global MMA rules, as they call it, or whatnot. But how did you get involved with Pancreas and how did that become your first fight? So it actually was part of a reality TV show called Fight Exchange. Oh, uh, that aired on the super channel, which is a channel on Kojiko. Yeah. Uh, so that's basically how it went about. They oh. offered me a, a spot on the show. I was only 17. Shit. Obviously I couldn't fight pro in North America at the time. And I was kind of above uh, my years at the time uh, when it comes to competition. And uh, that's basically how it came about. They filmed yeah. us two weeks leading up to the fight in Japan, living there, training there a little bit. And then we fought, and uh, I fought a guy with like thirty fights. Jesus! And, yeah, it was like it was a cool experience, but uh, yeah, even it, not to mention that Pancrase is a legendary organization too. You of know, course. all the a lot of world champions have fought there, so yeah, uh, it's pretty good experience, man, to get to get there, especially for a seventeen year old at the time. It was uh, pretty awesome. Yeah, no kidding. And and again, I have a lot of pro wrestling fans, and for people who don't know, Pancrase was founded by Masakatsu Funaki and Minoru Suzuki, who are huge legends in the pro wrestling world. And like I said, when it first started, they wanted, like, sort of, sort of speak, a real pro wrestling show where it wasn't predetermined. So you still have your matches, but they go in and actually slap and wrestle for real, right? But now it's, like I said, it's formed into the actual MMA. And yeah, that's so cool that you were there at 17. So were you, like, just shitting bricks backstage, or were you fully focused and ready to go? Uh, no, back then, you know, I was still so young. I was just, I was just enjoying every moment of it. And that's a kind of a mentality I've been trying to bring back into my life. Okay. Uh, 
because I've treated this almost like too seriously, where it's like it didn't really become fun no more. Gotcha. It was uh, it felt like more like a job, where it's like I thought it had to be that way. Like, sure. oh, you got to treat this really serious. But man, you don't perform or you don't fight your best at that point, you know, and you don't learn. That's the biggest thing. You don't learn. You don't go to the gym with the the idea in mind, like, oh, I'm gonna go get better today. I can't wait to get to the gym. Instead, it's like, oh, I have to go train. I got a fight coming up. You know, yeah, like already yeah. the tones of both of those is like totally different. Like I get to go to the gym versus I have to go to the gym. That's basically how it felt, you know. And when I was a young kid, younger kid like that, just you know what I mean. It was my whole life. Everything about fighting, I just wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to be a sure. world champion. And, uh, it was just, it was just fun. There was no money involved, no hype, no social media, no nothing. It was just, it's just about going in there and fighting, man. Yeah, no kidding. And then you get another two consecutive wins. And speaking of video games and you're, you like to play your Xbox, your first three fights were like something out of a UFC video game, all finishes in the first round, less than three minutes. Like, you know what I mean? And then you get your first loss. How was that feeling being that young and getting your first loss? So, okay, it, it's even worse because that loss was a split decision against a guy who, exactly. who eventually fought in the Ultimate Fighter and then fought in Contender Series. Oh. But uh, I got absolutely robbed in that fight. I won every round. Okay. And it was one of those decisions. Literally one of the worst decisions in MMA that oh, I can shit. remember. And uh, don't take my word for it. Go watch the video yourself. Right. Whoever this video, you know what I mean? <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, it was a literally a three round shutout, and I would have I hundred percent. I was eighteen, just smashed a guy with eight pro fights. I only had three, and it was only within three weeks of a, a twenty five second knockout I had. Yeah. So it was just I was on a I was steamrolling these guys. You know what I mean? And yeah. the competition was getting tougher and tougher, and uh, I was just on such a hot streak. And then, unfortunately, you know these things happen in May, especially uh, when you go to states or commissions where things aren't very regulated and you go to a place like Michigan and the judges obviously don't know anything there because like I said, that fight was a shutout, easy money. Oh. And, uh, it, it just screwed me over. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter now. Cause, uh, you know, you see where I'm at, uh, obviously yeah. didn't really affect the trajectory too much of my career. Um, and I'm where I'm at now. So, can't really look back on it at this point. And that's the thing about MMA in general. It's nice to have a good record, but how many top guys do you see with more than 10 losses? It's not when you get the loss. It's it's the streak that you're currently on. That's what everyone cares yeah. about, right? Exactly. Especially, like, um, yeah, at the end of the day, the record, uh, like, I'm not super obsessed about having a perfect record. Uh, I mean, it is what it is. It would look nicer. It would look of more course. polished. Sure, but... <laughs> It's not changing my end goal. If I'm a world champion with eight losses or a world champion with zero losses, at the end of the day, I'm still the best in the world. You know, Charles Oliveira has like eight losses yeah. or something like that. You know what I mean? Like people look at that in MMA now. Sometimes they're like, "Oh, eight losses—that's a lot." But hey, I had I had 15 pro fights before I even got in the UFC, and most some people are getting in with three, four, five, six, seven, eight fights. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think you shouldn't even be allowed in the UFC sometimes until you got at least 10 pro fights, you know what I mean? Like, you see these guys go get in there with three pro fights, four pro fights, they get, they look ridiculous, you know what I mean? They make the, they make, they make terrible mistakes and it shows, like, that's just a lack of experience and I'm glad I got the experience I did and honestly, I wish I would have got more, I wish I would have had more amateur fights, I wish I would have slowed my career down even a little bit more than I, than I uh, 
because I started up really quick. You know, I went pro mm-hmm. at 17, and I wish I honestly would have fought more cans as a pro. You know what I mean? I wish I would have stocked my record up, just got the cage time experience because I was always somebody that wanted to fight the best and wanted to test myself. But, you know, in the end, it's going to pay off. Uh, but it is what it is, you know. But you can't go back. I feel like it helped me to get to where I am. But if I were to go back, I would do it a little differently. Like, I think that the UFC, here, I'm, I'm just a guy on the couch, obviously, but why not have, like, a minor league system as the other pro sports have, where you bring in these guys who've only had three or five fights, but you see their potential, but you don't bring them in and burn them out right away, and you just build them up slowly, and, and you have them face, like, the so-called cans of the world. Yeah, see, I feel like they kind of have, like, that half-assed with the Contender Series yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. But it's, like, now, though... Contender series isn't what it used to be. Contender series now is like you fu- you win in any way, shape, or form, you get fucking signed to the UFC. Yeah. Before it was uh, just uh, it was just uh, before it was just uh, you had to finish in an exciting fashion against a good opponent. You know the first couple seasons of contender series, like there was guys that won, like Dan Ige, for example. Oh yeah, there you had go. A crazy fight on the contender series. He won by a finish and then still didn't get signed where it's like now he's a top he was at one point a top 10 145 right. so it's like <laughs> you see where these people's careers go and it's not always it's not always a straight line to the top it's all different yeah no it's so true and speaking of the contender series you came out of that and you got your contract which was a great fight by the way but you almost got caught in that submission that was making me a bit nervous what was going through your mind we were like oh fuck i can't get caught because i'm not going to get signed now or something were you thinking that or again another day in, at the office uh just another day at the office honestly like when somebody plays full guard with me i'm not too worried about submissions in mma like uh like daniel swain has some good submissions but uh yeah. Really, I wasn't too worried, you know. It just gives me an opportunity to pass his guard and start smashing him, in my opinion. Uh, like, you can't you can't totally shut down an attempt. You just got to be able to defend it and work, work, work forward after that, you know. So I wasn't really too worried. I didn't really think the submissions weren't close. It might look bad on TV, but there was at no point where I was close to losing that fight, you know. And you said it too, smashing people. You got heavy hands for a featherweight, and your ground and pound is just, again, phenomenal, my friend. Have, okay, now the whole saying is, have you ever felt someone's soul leave their body when you punched them? Uh, honestly, I've only had like one standing, like stand-up KO, like okay. out cold sure. in my career, and uh, it just felt like I hit nothing. Literally, oh. it, it, it air. Like, Shit. when I punched him, it just, I couldn't believe he was on the floor, you know? It was kind of crazy. And again, coming from a kickboxing background, did you always know you had this power, or did you discover later on in your career and you, like, focused in on it? Uh, I mean, lately, I've been focusing on my power a little bit. But, you know, it, with the four-ounce gloves, you just got to hit clean and you could knock people out. So, um, That's true, it is what it is. I, did, I, I feel like I got good power on the ground and power for sure, you know? I do damage when I'm on top. But, uh, yeah, uh, on the feet, I feel like I still don't hit that hard. Sometimes when I'm in the fight, you know, it feels like you're in a bad dream and you can't hit hard. But, you know, I'm sure I hit a little bit hard enough, I think. Yeah, of course, most definitely. And uh, and we're just speaking of power and all that, but your ring IQ, something you should be proud of as well. And, again, speaking of the Swain fight, you were using your head to position yourself. And I think uh, one of the announcers, Paul Felder, mentioned it. So you could get into position and lay the punches. And, like, again... 
I don't know why more fighters don't do like this sort of unorthodox type of styles instead of always just the same old, same old. Yeah, you know, um, you got to try new stuff. I feel like there's a lot of modern day, uh, like, say, jujitsu tactics coming into MMA or, you know, it's all changing up. You got to change. The game changes every day, literally. New stuff happens for a bit there. Everybody was doing calf kicks. Right. (laughs) It all changes, you know, but at the end of the day, basics prevail. And that's what I got to, you know, work on. Everybody's got to work on that and be be sharp, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And how nice was it when Dana was praising you, saying stuff like you're a savage, you're the type of fighter he likes to watch? You're like, yes, I'm in with Uncle Dana now. Oh, it's amazing, you know, like to hear uh, somebody you've seen on TV for so long say those kind of things about you and somebody that you want to be your boss at some point, right? And so how does the contract all go down? Is it just the contract is you you receive it, you got to sign it? Is there negotiating? How does that, again, I don't want to know numbers, obviously. No, no negotiating. You just sign whatever they hand you. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it is, eh? <laughs> Take it or leave it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. So how do you actually, like, we touched a little bit during your first fight, but now that you've been in more fights and whatever, what's your state of mind before going into a fight? Like, are you nervous? Do you have sort of a routine? Are, are you, like, superstitious or anything? Uh, no routine so much, but uh, I'd say... Like, my first UFC fight, I was super nervous. I didn't really have a great training camp for that. It was a quick turnaround after Contender Series. But this last uh, training camp was very good. Uh, And honestly, I felt very ready to fight, you know. Uh, I felt very good in the head. Uh, Maybe lacked a little bit of urgency. Maybe I was a little bit too relaxed. But, uh, you know, there's that happy medium. And uh, I feel like I'm obviously fighting better competition now. I'm still young. uh, But I'm getting better every day, so... Yeah, and now you mentioned it too. Uh, you started off with three wins and whatnot, and now you're in a unique position where you lost two in a row. What's your mindset now moving forward? And is there anyone that you want to see fight up against or you match up against in the future? Uh, honestly, I'm kind of just focusing on dropping my weight down right now to see how okay. where I can get the off season. I'm trying to get in the 150s and then hopefully get a fight booked at Bantamweight. And uh, at 135, you know, I'm open to fighting literally anybody. It doesn't matter. I think at 135, I'll be a champ in the next two to three years. That's impressive. Huh? You, you guys heard it here first. We'll see if it happens. Yeah, <laughs> I'm confident. It will, <laughs> it will, man. I've trained with some of these guys in the top 10, right. top 5. know how it'll go. So what way do you want to drop down? Is it just because you know you can, or you think that, again, you just match up well against the bantamweights? Uh, I think size-wise and my frame uh, fit suits the Bantamweight division a lot better. I'm probably one of the smallest 145ers stature and size-wise. I definitely uh, think I could grapple. I'm one of the better grapplers at 145. Right. right. Um, I just need to kind of tune some things up. But if I can take away the size and reach advantage and go down to 35, and it just takes a lifestyle change that, you know, sure. if I can sacrifice for the next five, four or five years – and uh, accomplish everything I've ever dreamed of, then I'll do that, you know? So that means you've always fought at 145 and you throw your whole career? Uh, I did a couple catchweights at the beginning of my career okay. at 140. And, uh, but uh, I didn't really know how to cut weight too well back then, so I just moved up to 45. 35 wasn't really an option. Uh, I'm a lot, little bit better at cutting weight. got the bright people behind me. So uh, I really think this is going to happen, you know? Anything weird or out of the ordinary ever happened to you, say, during a training camp or leading up into a fight? Uh, I mean, before my first UFC fight, I kind of took the fight with a like a grade two sprain in my LCL. So oh, shit. I couldn't, 
didn't really have a good uh, training camp for that. I was pretty much just sweating in the sauna suit in uh, my buddy's garage, just training with him. Uh, well, Cody Stamen and my brother, but uh, um, yeah, that was that was uh, literally is now I think back on it, I'm like I can't believe I took that fight. You know, like why why would I do that? But it is what it is. Yeah, exactly. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, as they say, right? Yeah. And if it worked out, it would have worked out, obviously, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, you mentioned it too. Video games. You like to play video games. You're on Xbox now. Have you always been a fan or since a kid? Uh, I'm not. I'm not a crazy video game guy. Okay. Just like literally, I only play one game. I play Call of Duty because it's quick. Oh, sure, I don't have okay, to be okay. too committed to it. I just sign on, kill some people, get killed a couple of times, and then just log off. You know. <laughs> How about any other hobbies or anything that you do in, in your pastime, other than obviously working? Well, all my hobbies are my work, pretty much. Like, oh, I'm shit. a barber. I, I love to cut hair. Oh, wow. Okay. I've been cutting hair since I've been 16. So, yeah, that's a hobby of mine. Nowadays, it pretty much just helps pay for gas. At this point, I just go in occasionally and cut, cut some of my boys' hair, you know, but uh, it's not really a full-time gig at this point. It's not even possible for it to be a full-time gig. Oh, that's cool. And how about this? I know a lot of fighters, they like, you know, they have to have the animosity. They have to be angry before getting a fight. What's What about you? Do you have to be angry at your opponent or it's just, again, um, business? No, it is what it is. Okay. Uh, like, there's no hard feelings uh, for the most part. Sometimes, you know, I've gotten emotional, but I don't really feel like it. I seek a benefit out of it. Uh, sure. The biggest thing is I got to win the game. I got I, I see this fighting is a game you know what i mean like mm. i have to win the points you know i have to get my hand raised at the end of the game you know that's what it takes whatever it takes to win the game i gotta do that you know i don't need to be angry at somebody to win the game yeah no that's that's well said because i know I've, again i've had other fighters on the show and they're like nope i love to fight i like to hurt people and i need to be angry or else i know i'm not gonna have a, a good boat yeah yeah again everyone's different everyone and then how about getting into boxing is that something? Because that's the whole rage now, boxing, you, you know what I mean? Uh, bare knuckle boxing as well. Anything like that that you ever want to dip your toes into eventually? Uh, definitely never bare knuckle boxing. Oh, sure. Maybe some okay. pro, pro jiu-jitsu at a higher level, but I would never bare knuckle box. Unless they paid me an absurd amount of money. But uh, for what I know that they're paying people, I definitely wouldn't do that. Uh, um but yeah, maybe pro boxing, maybe at some point. But I feel like you know I'm all in with the MMA, right? So I'm I'm gonna do this till till I can't no more, and then we'll go from there. But definitely not. I don't. I just don't. I I can't even picture myself doing the other stuff at this point. I've put too much time into this. No, well said. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? That's good too because you're not looking towards the next thing. Because you know what they say: once you start looking towards the next thing, one foot in, one foot out. That's when you get knocked out, right? Yeah, exactly. Now, another thing that interests me, because I own two myself. You're a cat guy. Yeah, yeah. I have. Uh, <laughs> I just got into cats pretty much, but uh, I look at them as an investment at this point. Oh, shit. <laughs> what are you, you going to breed them or something? Yeah, so I, I have two Maine Coons right now. Oh, shit. Two of them. Uh, okay. I plan on uh, breeding. Um, yeah, that's pretty much my plan. But they are cool to have around. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm going to make some money in the process. But why cats? Why not like dogs or something else or even birds? Oh, I got a dog too. Oh, I okay, bred okay. my dog a couple times, a few times. But uh, especially like the COVID prices of dogs, just it, it was a no-brainer. Right? I was like, damn, man. 
I was like, I could sell fucking one dog for fifteen hundred to two thousand a piece. I'm like, oh, sign me up. It's crazy. That actually just happened. And oddly enough, it's it's so crazy. Like five people I know, their pets all died within like a span of a week. Phone call after, oh, my dog died, my cat died. And I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. And yeah, uh, they were like, oh yeah, we wanted to get another German Shepherd because we got this one for free from a friend. We went to go ask them. They don't breed anymore. And then after we go and start investigating, they're like, it's like two grand for a German Shepherd now. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) That's crazy. lucrative, man. It's so crazy. And again, oh, and no, this is a perfect opportunity. I've been wanting to do this for a while. I've been getting emails because my cat likes to make an appearance every so often on the show and meow in the background. But yeah. I'm glad people are not taking it that seriously. But she's, I hate to say it, she's literally losing her mind. Poor thing is 16 years old. So she just starts yelling for no reason at all sometimes. I'm surprised she hasn't actually yelled once during this episode. But for people who want to know that's what's going on, no, I'm not slaughtering her. I'm not ignoring her. She just <laughs> loves to yell at the top. It sounds like she's almost in heat, like that type of meow. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my cat's so annoying when she's in heat, man. It's crazy. Oh, that's the other thing too, right? Because you, ex- yeah. you can't snip them or get them fixed, right? Yeah, exactly. And the, the male cat is still a baby, right? So he's okay. not really... He's, he's messy as hell, but, but he's not like, I don't have to worry about them doing the, uh, like spraying or nothing like that yet, but we'll see. If, uh, I don't know. This cat thing seems t- a lot tougher than the dogs, to be honest. <laughs> and for people who don't know, a Maine Coon, okay, I don't even know how to describe this. This is like, sort of like a saber tooth looking cat. I don't know. It looks, yeah. it looks prehistoric, right? It, it looks wild, but they're actually 100% domestic cats. Oh, the biggest, are they? Yeah. They look like wild cats, but they're not. Right. Uh, and they're the, the biggest domestic cat breed in the world, uh, average. Um, and, uh, yeah, they come in colors that most other uh, cats don't come in. They come in, like, silver, smoke gray. They have the big manes. Uh, they get up to 30 pounds sometimes. Uh, oh, shit. And, and yeah, I, I have, like, two silver ones. Uh, so those are the, one of the most sought-after colors. So I kind of... I did my research before I bought bought my cats. <laughs> no, you went in deep with this then, eh? Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, that's awesome to hear. That's awesome to hear. Well, you want to get into the word story of the week quickly? Yeah, let's do it. All right, my friend. Here we go. So, okay, how about this? Since again, being from Ontario, you might understand this. When you were in elementary school, what were some of like your favorite snacks and drinks that like your school would provide you on like those special lunch days? Oh, like I would say the pizza probably. Or hot dogs? I know. I was a big hot dog guy, too. I don't know if you guys had it out there, but we used to have sometimes, like, a, a, a McDonald's day. And the orange juice that they would bring in, I don't know. It wasn't available at McDonald's, but it came in, like, this huge jug or something. And it was only during, like, the school. Like, I'll never forget the taste of this. Again, people who are my age group probably know back in the 80s and stuff. It was just, I don't know. It wasn't sweet, but it wasn't sour. It sort of tasted like Sunny D, but not really. I, I don't know. It's yeah. weird. But yeah, those are some of my favorite as well. But yeah, the hot dogs were a big one for me too, for sure. So last week's story I talked about, for people who don't know, it was a bride <laughs> drugging her guests at her wedding and got them all high by lacing all the food at the wedding. So now this week's story is a kid and gardener trying to get her schoolmates drunk. Actually. Actually, can you imagine this in this day and age? A five-year-old. So, the whole story. This week's story, speaking of, comes from Michigan, where a five-year-old made Jose Cuervo margaritas and brought it to school and shared it with a few other kids. 
That's actually hilarious. I wonder if they actually finished the drink or they knew something was up. Well, that's the thing. So one of the kids started feeling all woozy, obviously, and told the teacher they were feeling good. And then they ended up finding out, yeah, that the kid ended up bringing an alcohol. They even called poison control to make sure. Because, again, you don't know. Like, what if... They're so young. Exactly, right? Like, you never know what the fuck. And imagine if they stay drunk the rest of their lives or something. It's like an old wives' yeah. tale. <laughs> yeah. Like, and all this shit, but, but here, here's what makes it weird. No one is blaming the kid who brought it in or the actual parents of this kid. The parents of the kids that got drunk are blaming the school. That's strange. Right? How are they supposed to know? How are they supposed to know? Exactly, right? And for me, okay, this is totally, maybe not the kid's fault, but this is so the parent's fault. Like, how does a five-year-old know how to make a fucking margarita? She must be yeah. making her, her parents drinks. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And get a whole, yeah, exactly. Like someone taught her this, you know, this lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. Because I know, like, for, for myself, again, being an 80s baby and stuff, back in the day, my dad would be like, oh, go get me a beer. But he would always tell me, you can never drink it, you can do this, this, that. Nowadays, it's yeah. like, oh, yeah, come bring me this. But you can have some too, just don't tell anybody. Like, you know what I mean? That's like sort of yeah. today's parent, because everyone wants to be their kid's friend, so to speak, right? Yeah, which is terrible, actually. <laughs> don't worry. I, that's a whole nother episode, my friend. I'm the exact same way. Like, I don't think that it should be as harsh as it used to be, like, where you have no leniency whatsoever. But there's some yeah. give and take. Like, you know what I mean? You, oh, for sure. Like, I don't want my kids, so to speak, if I had any, to be afraid of me. But at the same time, I want them to respect me and know if I say something, it's like you follow that rule. And that's that. No questions asked. You're still in a position of authority at the end of the day. Thank you, right? And as much as yeah. you want to be their friend, you could be their friend once they become adults. When they're young, you're shaping their minds, man. You can't warp them that way, I think. Yeah, yeah. But again, it's the whole, like, this is the, me and my wife have these conversations all the time about humanity, how we always go one way versus the other. And then when we hit that other peak, we come back down to the original peak. And then it's like we can never go f from maximum to minimum. It's always, I mean, we always go from maximum to minimum. There's no in between, right? Yeah, 100%. No happy mediums, that's for sure. Oh, man. Well, TJ, thank you for coming aboard today, my friend. Really appreciate you giving me your time. Plug your shit where anyone could find you. Anything you want to promote, floor is all yours, my friend. Thank you. Just, uh, yeah, you can follow me at TJ Laramie on Instagram and uh, follow my athlete page on Facebook, just TJ Laramie. Uh, if, uh, that's where I post the most, so thank you. Perfect. And for myself, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under Finger Styles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, the podcast DAP. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast DAP at gmail.com. Please rewind to the top of the show. Support those fine sponsors because if it helps them out, most definitely helps me out. And most importantly, please rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms. All right. I got one last question before I let you go, my friend. Yes, sir. If you had a magic wand and could fight in any way class during any era, what would it be? Uh... I'd want to fight Frankie Edgar, 100%. And that oh. might be a possibility one day before, before it's all said and done. Because that was my hero growing up, so I'd want to fight him. Oh, that's awesome to hear. That's awesome. On that note, he's TJ. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace.